Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I'm with Amy Santee, a former UXer or transitioning out of UX, but with lots of UX experience, uh, now turning into a UX career coach. And so we're going to have a great conversation about, you know, not only Amy's experience working in UX, but also all of her recommendations of how you might be able to transition into UX. And so, um, Amy, you've you've worked in companies such as eBay. You have run your own business. Now you're really starting a sort of second version of your business, if you mm-hmm. will. So you have a lot of broad experience. Um, you want to maybe talk a little bit about that? You know, what first brought you to anthropology? How did you maybe find your way to UX? Give us a little overview. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so yeah, again, my name is Amy Santee, and I use she, her pronouns. And I live in Portland, Oregon. Um, how I got into anthropology, I mean, it has a really long history. Um, I knew as early as age 14 or 15 that I wanted to be an anthropologist. And that's because of a computer game I played where in the game, um, I met an ethnobotanist on the Amazon trail. Um, that was the name of the game, actually. And I just got really curious about ethnobotany. And then I, I you know, found that that was a subdiscipline of anthropology. And I kind of got broader and broader. Um, the first book I, I picked up at Borders, um, I don't know if you remember that store, but it was um, Napoleon Chagnon's book about being in the Amazon rainforest uh, with different tribes. And um, I know that's actually a controversial book now. um, But I didn't know that back then. I was just kind of like exploring what was anthropology all about. And I did end up going to get my bachelor's in anthropology as well as my master's. And initially, I had that kind of basic simplified understanding of anthropology as studying other cultures and like going off and traveling the world. And, you know, as, as we know, that's not uh, that's really only a slice of what uh, doing anthropology could look like. And so throughout my education, um, especially into my master's degree, which I got at the University of Memphis in 2011, uh, my my world expanded or my, my view of, uh, of anthropology expanded to encompass um, basically answering questions and solving problems um, that relate to human beings in, in any place on any topic. And my program at Memphis was an applied anthropology program. And so we took, uh, I took a lot of courses on um, applied anthropology in the realms of, let's say, education, healthcare, um, urban development, um, basically kind of the main topics that you might find in an anthropology program. I did take a consumer research course when I was there as well, which I think kind of the pl- planted the seed of possibly working inside of businesses and on products. Um, and, uh, I, but my program was still very, very academic, even for an applied program. And so there was just this continued growth and expansion of my understanding of what anthropology is over time and throughout my career. And I really 
didn't fully know that until I left school, which is kind of counterintuitive if you think about it. Like you want to know that before you leave. Um, but there was a lot I had to fig- figure out, a lot of new um, uh, definitions and shaping and defining my identity as an anthropologist in different ways, and kind of eventually not even referring to myself as an anthropologist and keeping that as a you know a bonus or something in the background um, to uh, bring up in the context of being a user experience researcher. Great. Thanks for that. And so a few things in there. So I mean, guess first, where did you actually hear really about UX? So if you didn't learn about business and the way we apply anthropology and business to after school, like where, what did you do to find out about UX? Like who turned you on to that? And, and when exactly did that happen? Yeah. Um, I, in 2011, that was kind of at the tail end of the um, 2008 recession, um, which was a really bad time for jobs. Um, and, you know, economy and all of that stuff, but especially for new graduates, that it's already hard for new graduates to get job. But during a recession, there are even fewer opportunities. And I applied to as many jobs as I could find, regardless of where they were, who they were for, as long as they were about qualitative research, because that's really my favorite thing that I like to do, my favorite thing that I have practice. I get to continue practicing it as a coach in a way, which we can talk about later. Um, but I applied to all kinds of organizations and companies, and I, I really just wanted to get a job as a researcher. And I ended up getting my first job as a consumer researcher um, at State Farm Insurance. It's essentially like market research. Um, and when I joined the team, I happened to start working with people who were focus- focusing more on product development and the business side of things. And really, that's the difference. Consumer and market research tends not to be focused on products, right? It's answering questions about people in relation to products and services and brands, but not necessarily taking that information to um, uh, infuse that into the development of a product and the interface and and how people interact with it. So so as soon as I got um, exposure to user experience, human-computer interaction, user-centered design, all of these terms that are kind of related to this Um, I just realized like that sounds super cool. And that's what I'm going to go ahead and pursue. And, you know, I came out of school with a lot of really good um, skills when it comes to research, uh, research methods, designing studies. But again, there was a lot I had to learn to fill in the gaps of knowledge and experience to fully transition over to working in the field of product design um, and product development. And so that was just a matter of, you know, understanding this is a totally different context of work from school. Um, everything about it, the workplace culture process, it's, it's all very different. And so um, a lot of, I had to do a lot of self-learning and learning on the job by working more closely as much as possible with UX researchers, with designers. Um, and as I went on in my career, I got more and more experience with that. Um, So again, my definition of anthropology and role as uh, someone practicing anthropology changed along with that. Um, But it did, it did take some time um, and, uh, you know, kind of proactive learning in order to get from A to B. Yeah. Yeah. As as we often hear when talking to other people who have made the the similar journey, right? We, Mm -hmm. even in you know, our programs, as you already pointed out about your Memphis program, and I, you know, I I went to UNT, both applied programs, but 
you know, we're learning things like design anthropology, but not necessarily like hearing the term UX and figuring out exactly how to make the connection. And yeah. and certainly not learning, you know, other things about, you know, agile development or in many things that happen within sort of the space that we operate in. So mm-hmm. what, um, what skills specifically did you find that you needed to upskill on and and was there any place that you went about learning those, any particular like certificates or, you know, online training of any sort? Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, you know, anthropologists or people who study any kind of um, humanities or social science have a really good foundation of doing research and thinking theoretically uh, and conceptually about our research and about our work. And that's so crucial. I think that gives you um, um, some good advantage compared to other folks coming from other areas who don't have that solid foundation for research. I find that to be very important. Um, What I needed to learn was how to do and speak about these methodologies just in a different context, in the context of design, right? And so there's different terminology for certain things. So, um, you know, anthropologists talk about ethnography and People say ethnography in the design world. Um, That's a whole other question as to how they're defining that versus how it's Mm -hmm. traditionally defined. We don't have to go into that. But my point is that um, you can say things like fieldwork or contextual research. And those essentially mean the same things, more or less. Um, So speaking in the language of design, um, you know, usability testing. Usability testing is something I needed to learn how to do, but it builds off of doing qualitative interviews, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things where I just needed to like figure out how to talk about it and do do it in the context of design. Um, and then I there was so much to learn though about, you know, what even is user experience? What is human-centered design? What does the product development process look like from starting uh, with a big question about what's going on out in the world of these people who we want to build a product for to, um, you know, conceptualizing and making initial designs and, and getting feedback on ideas and prototypes and then putting a product out in the world for people to use. And there's this whole process that research can fit into. So learning more broadly about that, learning about um, and, and understanding the people that I work with, you know, what do designers actually do? There are lots of different types of designers. There are visual designers. There are interaction designers. And again, there's a whole discussion about these roles and job titles and terminologies out there uh, because user experience is an ever-evolving field. Um, so, so yeah, learning about that kind of thing, um, understanding more about the technology side of things. So, you know, if, if you're a researcher and you want to do some usability on an app, say the eBay app. Well, you can get the eBay app on a website, like on your web browser, um, on your phone or computer. You can get it on um, iOS, so Apple, and you can get it on Android. And if you don't understand how those platforms work, generally speaking, and the differences between them and say how you navigate on an Android phone um, versus how you uh, navigate on um, iOS software, Safari, whatever it might be. So I had to get better, better at knowing the things that I was actually researching um, so I could ask better questions, right? So, so I think the last part of that too is the business side of things. And a lot of us get into research of any kind, but especially user experience because we want things to be better. We want to improve things and make them more valuable for people, um, whatever product or service it might be. 
Uh, and, but we are there because the business has a business need for us to be there. And so the work we do to improve stuff is in service of business, which is another discussion that we could talk about and something I'm very interested in. Um, but yeah, so you have like the whole thing is what's the context that you're working in and getting a clear understanding of who you're working with, the purpose of your work, what it can look like, getting creative. Um, so again, it was a matter of, you know, reading a ton of books, going to conferences, going to webinars, networking with people just to like consume as much information as I could. Um, and you can do that in other ways. You can um, do training programs. Um, there's a lot of different um, offerings out there where you can learn and, and even practice this type of work to build your skills and experience. Um, and, and then learning on the job. So, you know, my first role was at State Farm. Um, and I worked with researchers, but the model at State Farm at the time for the team was kind of a centralized thing and, and researchers acted as consultants with different teams. But at eBay, for example, and in other places I've worked, researchers and designers and other people are embedded onto a product team. So working directly with a team um, rather than consulting to them and kind of like going away and doing a study and coming back and telling them what you learned. Um, and I prefer the latter model. I think it's way more effective. Um, but again, like each place I worked at, I experienced a new type of work, working with different types of people, growing in your role and, and gaining experience. You get to do like more strategic type work eventually. Um, it's sort of just, you kind of follow this path and, um, you know, trying to take advantage of as many opportunities for learning and growing as I could. Yeah, all great feedback. And so you said a few things in there that I found interesting. One is, you know, acknowledging the fact that it's a very, you know, it's an ever-evolving field. And really, it's, in terms of maturity, it's relatively, you know, still, I mean, it's it's relatively young industry that has a lot of, you know, maturation to go, especially in certain firms, and particularly oftentimes in a lot of smaller firms, right? There's, there's a, a lot more that... You know, still you see sort of design oftentimes leading things and sort of research as being tacked on as sort of a, you know, as a second thought almost in many ways. And so um, given your experience across, you know, the various companies you worked for in the fact that you've owned your own business, you want to maybe just elaborate on, you know, why you think anthropology is particularly good at sort of a or, or reaffirm maybe why we are particularly well suited to do everything you just said, learn the context, mm -hmm. right? You know, you, you have all these sort of rituals, practices, right? In all these various places. So, you know, maybe just to help everybody realize that UX is a really great place for them. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, totally. Anthropologists have been working in business and uh, design since like 50 years ago and it's just grown and grown and grown. Right. And, um, it's always this perennial discussion of like, we need more anthropologists in this field. It's, it's been happening for so long. And yes, we, we could use uh, more of us in there because we do provide a really good, not just set of skills, but perspective. So as you mentioned, and as I was talking about earlier, being able to go into um, a new context and get an understanding of what's going on and who does what and um, the, you know, organizational culture and how you fit into the bigger picture, how to work with your team, how to, you know, educate people about user experience, all of that. I think anthropologists are well suited. At the same time, 
Um, we have really strong identities for who we are and what we do and how we do it. So there is a tension between being that person coming out of academia and, sh and transitioning over. And um, that was my biggest challenge, I think, was like trying to stick to what I was trained in and how I was trained. And I had a difficult time really shedding some of that stuff, not getting rid of it, but just talking about myself and, uh, in a different way. Um, and, and again, kind of immersing myself in this, this new context, but it's possible. And we're really good at that sort of thing. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, uh, you know, obviously research methodologies, like I was saying, that's our, you know, our biggest strength, I think, is anthropology being a research-oriented discipline that looks at people. And the way I've always defined anthropology is it's the understanding of the human experience. That's it. Whether it's past, present, or future. And um, you need to understand people if you want to create things that they want in their lives <laughs> that, that are valuable and useful to them. And that's when you start getting into the user experience, product design stuff. And, and that's where you connect those things together. Um, so, yeah. And I think too, going back to the organizational culture stuff, um, you were talking about the role of research and design in different types of companies. And there are companies out there that are design led, or they have a high level of design or user experience maturity. Um, so, uh, you know, I would say Google is one of those companies. And then you take a look at a company, like maybe some of the ones that I've worked for before, and the user experience and design maturity model that you could map to a company like that was really low maturity, or maybe mid maturity in the sense that design wasn't um, at the forefront of decision making. Design was a thing that was being done and talked about as important because it is important, but maybe the difference was that uh, design didn't have a quote seat at the table for key business decisions. Um, and then, yeah, you might have super old fashioned kind of companies that they have designers, you know, designing their product, but it's just kind of a checkbox. And so there's different levels and if an anthropologist, or let's say just a person trained in anthropology, right, um, rather than an anthropologist, if they go into this company, they're going to have to suss out, like, what is the maturity level of, um, of vulnerability of the company to be open to asking important questions, learning that they're wrong, and making changes. Um, and so I've, I have found that... Um, I and lots of other people have to play that role of kind of being like, hey, you know, we're, we need to look at these really important things before we make a decision, or how is this decision going to have an effect? Um, how will it affect us today, tomorrow, in five years and 10 years? Like, what are the potential outcomes of this, um, especially when it comes to ethics? Um, so, so we're good at asking questions like those. But we also get, uh, we, can, we can get a lot of pushback from people depending on how much power we actually have in an organization to impact that sort of thing. Yeah, certainly influence is one of the things I oftentimes am talking about here in New York and, and you know, with you know, various colleagues. But before we, we jump into some things around influence, I'd like to maybe just go back to what you said on identity. And so in your intro so you just mentioned identity you know, in the last few minutes. And in your intro, you said that you actually moved away from identifying as an anthropologist and presumably to UX researcher. Mm -hmm. 
So what was, you know, that, that's something that comes up a lot. A lot of people, you know, want anthropologists in their title. And, you know, we often have to advise people that generally you're not going to have anthropologists in your title. Um, and so, you know, why did you move away from it? And, you know, what did you maybe learn that helped you do that, that others who might want that identity should be thinking about? Yeah, it, I mean, it comes down to a personal choice. And you're right, it has to do with, you know, where you work. And do people know what an anthropologist does? And I remember at State Farm, a guy I worked with, um, he was like, you know, what does that have to do with insurance? And he drew, like, in some really boring meeting, I wish I had it, I was looking around for it, he drew me, like, a little fake business card that said, like, Amy Santee, anthropologist, and he drew, like, a dinosaur next to it, and it said 8675309, which, if you, I'm sure you understand that reference, but... That was his like understanding of me and like, what was I doing there? And that was a pretty profound moment for me early on. And I've even written about that since then um, on my blog, anthropologizing.com. Um, and I also uh, co-edited a entire journal of um, practicing anthropology, which is the SFAA uh, Society for Applied Anthropology journal, all about this question of anthropologists working in business. And that was, I think, one of my, uh, the title of, of my um, essay in that journal uh, was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> so it was a question to reflect for myself. Yeah, what am I doing here? And what does this actually look like? Um, so there were situations like that early on that just kind of made me stop and think, like, is this useful? Is it, um, does it make people feel weird around me? How does it come off? And there's been several times where mentioning anthrop, you know, I'm an anthropologist or I'm trained in anthropology just rubs people the wrong way or they feel like, well, you know, she know she must know everything about like humans and culture and I don't have anything to contribute. It can make people feel, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, so I just found it to not be very useful for me doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means you have to kind of pay attention to who you're communicating with. And if you're with a group of anthropologists, that's different than if you're with a, uh, a group of engineers or people on your team. Um, and it comes down to how you communicate that stuff. And if they, if there's some place to mention that where it is, um, it feels like a diplomatic communication of your background that isn't going to put people on defense, then, then yeah, I think that's totally fine. But you're right, like Intel has a whole big history of hiring anthropologists, and they retain that title. Uh, many of them come straight out of academia, they have PhDs. So there's an even stronger link back to that. Um, and, and, and um, through line for that, you know, identity sort of label. So I think it really just depends on where you are. Um, I still don't really talk about it. I, I talk about anthropology stuff a lot. You know, I'll join anthropologists for, for panels or whatever, but um, typically it's just kind of a, you know, someone discovers it and they're like, oh, that's super cool. Or I'll bring it up if it's, if it's highly relevant. Yeah, so related to that then is, and related to the, con you know, the conversation on maturity. So you know, when you're working in an organization, Sometimes we have the opportunity to not just discuss our background, but maybe also discuss some things about our methods or theories, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And so in your experience, and that's another thing that you need to navigate, right? You need to understand the organizational culture, your coworkers, the, you know, the norms, all that stuff. You need to take, you know, 
take sense of all of that and figure out when it's appropriate and when it's not. And so did you, you know, did you make any mistakes along the way or did you learn anything about, you know, when you should maybe be a little bit more forceful on why, like say this is the right method or this is, you know, uh, the way that I'm analyzing this data and why it's relevant? Any, any thoughts there? Yeah. So you mean, generally speaking, as like a user experience practitioner, researcher mm-hmm. person? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much to learn with that. And it really is about communicating it in a, a way that doesn't come off as like, I know everything and you don't know how to do anything. Um, and it can come off in that way. And so, so yeah, what I have learned is uh, people don't always understand what qualitative research is. They don't know what it's for. They have a... Um, numbers-focused ideology that they make decisions based on. And so how can talking to 10 people about something give us any useful information? So there's, there is education to be done in that, um, in that area. That said, you know, more qualitative research happens over time at companies and people are getting more exposure to it. So I think for, depends on the the team in the company, but some people have experienced that and they know what it is and they will automatically value it when you go to work with them. And you may still have to educate them on some things. Now, uh, something I wish I had thought of before is um, saying, hey, you know, um, qualitative research actually comes from um, the social sciences like anthropology, sociology. So, you know, there's a big history and foundation of uh, of this type of work. So tying, kind of telling the story of what qualitative research is for and what it does and tying it back to things that will communicate to someone like, oh, this isn't just like bullshit that people are making up, right? Um, being able to talk about the validity of studies and validity do- doesn't just come from your, uh, the way you analyze data. Your, your validity in your studies comes from the h- entire way that you set up a project, are you answering the, are you asking the right questions at the right time? Are you recruiting the right people to be participants in your study? And do they have the right kind of experience and perspective to speak from? That adds a later layer of validity. Are you talking to the right amount of people? That adds a layer of validity. Did you select the right method? So like, there is a ton of validity baked into studies that um, are because they're systematically designed. They're not just like a willy nilly, let's interview people and like summarize what they said, right? So there's, there's a method to this whole design. And so I think if we can keep that kind of stuff in mind, it, it gives us confidence in the work that we do. And when we meet someone, um, if we're able to talk to them and explain to them and refer to companies that have huge research teams, you know, 50 qualitative researchers at Google or Airbnb or, you know, whatever the number might be, that is a sure sign and, and some street cred for why research can be important in um, the entire product development process or in, in business strategy. So, I, I had to like, just learn that stuff by trial and error over time and see how other people uh, did it and, and kind of integrate whatever it is that helped me into that, uh, that process for not just um, convincing people to do this type of work, but throughout the process, um, get, keeping them on board, getting buy-in throughout the process, um, engaging them so that they were part of a research project as note takers, um, helping design like all the questions we were going to ask and making sure that they had 
that they had decision-making power throughout the process instead of me doing whatever I wanted and then telling them information at the end. So there's all these different things that we can do to help make our work more successful um, and therefore the company more successful. And that's the last thing I want to mention with that is speaking to the business goals that people have in mind. Because whether we like it or not, business goals are, again, why we exist in companies. They have business goals in mind and people in different roles are part of the team that makes those goals happen. And so, you know, if you, if you think about it, business goals are tied to an individual person's income, their bonus at the end of the year. And so if we can, you know, hey, we have these things we want to do. If we can do all these things with the product this year, we're going to get our bonus. And so how can research help move the team towards achieving goals so that individual people who are looking out for themselves are happy, but then also the possibility that research can question and derail things that people want to do that get in the way of their their money. <laughs> so like you have to think even bigger about all of the implications of your work. And again, I think anthropologists have this kind of perspective, but they need to be willing to also go work in companies and feel okay with that. And that is totally an okay thing. Again, we we're identifying these like bigger conversations that, you know, we can talk about for hours and hours about yeah. is it okay to go work in companies and am I sell out and all that stuff. The answer is no. But anyway, that kind of wraps up Hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. And you know, one thing maybe just to comment on there is when you t- when you're talking about the validity of the study, I think it's also worth mentioning you know reflexivity and and you know some various other obviously anthropological concepts and you know us really making you know our influence known right, which is in many ways very different than what you're oftentimes coming seeing coming out of like the quant portion of the house. Um, not everywhere, of course, but in many places where, you know, the data is assumed to sort of be on an altar, you know, the, the quantitative, <laughs> right, assumed to be on an altar. And um, yeah. so I think it's also worth pointing out that, you know, I think that's actually a value add that we are transparent in that way. Um, yeah, that's a great point. But you're, you know, what you just brought up about the sort of rub of working for business hasn't come up on the podcast yet. So maybe we'll just sort of deviate a bit and just just brief. I know we could go on for a long time, so we'll just briefly dip into that. You know the uh, the point that you mentioned about like you know bonuses and incentives and really like individual goals is really interesting. Um, I've never spoke about that with another person in the UX space, but it's it's a great point. Mm-hmm. And so you know there, there's obviously competing competing needs there, right? And, mm-hmm. and our work influences all of those. And, you know, I agree with you that it's okay to work in business. I mean, you know, I've done it my whole life and I, I, I agree with that. I, I think one of our reasons for being there is to try and influence the product or service as much as possible to achieve the various goals, but also to influence in a way where you know, we are trying to also make sure that it's, say, as ethical as possible, right? As, mm-hmm. as if it's a product, right? Whatever it can be. And I've often said to people that, you know, even if I improve that by some whatever percentage, just make up a number, that I feel better having been there than if none of us were there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, imagine a world where we didn't participate, where we just said, "Well, this is sort of evil. This is, I don't want to be part of this." Right. It's <laughs> uh-huh. what would the, some of these products look like? Right. Is I think something that's worth pointing out because yeah, we, absolutely. 
even if at times there's like, you know, there's moments that were frustrated. And I know you left and started your own business. And so, you know, maybe that played a role. But, um, you know, even if those moments exist, there is still value to us being there. And, you know, I think a lot of our products would be a lot less human humane if we were not. Yeah. Um, and I want to add to that. Like, we all live in capitalism. We're not going to get rid of capitalism, but we can try to chip away at it if if that's what you care about. And I say that because anthropology is, um, it's a leftist discipline, you know, uh, it's a critical discipline. Um, and that's how I think most anthropologists see things. And that's great. But um, we can, we, and this is what was helpful for me was to shift my perspective and go, okay, I can't like turn around this entire company. I can't like change these big issues going on, but I can focus on the area that I'm working in. Let me, let me just try to help my team think differently. Let me try to, again, chip away at stuff that I disagree with morally or whatever it might be. Um, but you're right. I did leave eBay and had the same frustration at a lot of places. And um, it, it was too frustrating for me, ultimately. And I want to thrive in my job and be able to have impact. And so that is a huge reason for why I left. But yeah, I, I think reframing how we think about things, um, you know, we want to have impact on the company and the product and whatever it is we're working on in the moment and as we work there. But sometimes that doesn't happen until a year or two later. I see stuff come out on the eBay app where I'm like, I worked on that. My research had something to do with that. And it's like, okay, cool. Um, and, or again, like, how can we uh, impact the people that we're working with? How can we make them feel safer to speak up about stuff, you know? Um, and the other thing too is we don't, you know, it's okay to work in a company and make money and have a good lifestyle, um, you know, and not to feel guilty about that sort of thing, not to feel guilty that we're not working in, uh, you know, directly with a, a disadvantaged community and trying to improve their lives. It's okay if you're not doing that. Um, plus, if you work in a business, if you work in a very wealthy industry like tech, um, you will make good money that you could put into use for those purposes. So there are all kinds of different ways to think about it and hopefully feel good about the work you're doing. Um, and then, yeah, you, you will probably have a threshold at which you will decide if you want to stay in a company or leave it and go do something else. Yeah, and the, the last thing, you know, I would add there about the pay, as you said, the pay is good. And, you know, for anybody who's thinking of going to UX, that's something that's always worth mentioning because, you know, many students today have student debt and so even mm -hmm. if it is just a stop on your way to doing something else like you're doing now, which we'll get into, um, but even if it's just a stop along the way to like, you know, to pay down some of your debt, you know, it's a, it can be a great means to an end, you know, working somewhere else. And so maybe yeah. to use that as a transitioning point, what did, and, and, you know, you don't have to give specifics or specific companies, but like specific examples at specific companies, but what like made you want to maybe switch and what are you trying to do differently? Or I should say, when you started your business, what did you really want to do differently? Like, what did mm -hmm. you want to get out of that experience that made you make the leap? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just to recap, I have worked at two major corporations. Um, I worked at a startup-y sort of thing that was housed inside of a not-for-profit but also like healthcare, health insurance kind of thing. Um, 
I uh, have worked, I worked with a design consulting firm. So I was an employee there. And then my other jobs um, at different points have been as a freelancer or as a business owner. And I differentiate freelancers like someone like a team will hire you to come on and and do a project real quick. um, Or maybe you work through a design consulting firm that has their own client. Self-employed person has, for me, it's having direct clients myself. My clients are these companies rather than like working through an agency um, or a more traditional kind of contract thing. So, so I've done that and at different times um, between jobs before I got to eBay. I've loved it. I've been successful at it. Um, but I did decide to go back to self-employment because m- the most important thing for me is my life and my well-being and um, living a lifestyle that I um, that I enjoy, that uh, I, I'm not feeling constantly stressed out with like uh, eye twitch. Um, so I, I have learned to really understand what I value and, um, impact. I I value impact highly. And again, different people have different thresholds for what kind of impact they want to have and how much is, is good enough or whatever. But for me, it's extremely strong. It's one of my main drivers just in everything that I do in my life. And I decided if I can be self-employed, a, I get to pick my clients. I get to choose whoever I work with. I, I decided I don't want to work with people who don't value my work. Mm-hmm. So when I have worked in companies before, I spent so much time and energy uh, working on stuff that didn't go anywhere, that people didn't seem to care about, even if they asked for it. And, yeah. you know, not having the impact that I wanted to. And I just, I couldn't do that anymore. But working with my clients, um, if I if I had a potential client that clearly did not understand or value the type of work that I do, I just simply wouldn't work with them because I'm frankly tired of trying to convince people and waste my life doing that. Um, so obviously, I feel very strongly about that. So I had that in my control. Um, I had the type of clients and type of work and, and products and, and stuff within my control. Um, and I love collaborating with people, with my clients, with teams, bringing them along for the ride for with research, um, engaging them, having fun. And so I was able to practice research and practice being a consultant in the exact way that I wanted to. Um, so that was really the big change for me. And it, and it, it does make a huge difference for me. Um, and then even further into my shift into career coaching now, I I can have even more impact because I'm working one-on-one with a person to help them figure out big career questions, make progress in their career. Um, and it's, it's guaranteed that I will have impact on that person. So then they can go off and do some of their own stuff and, you know, achieve their goals and, and have the kind of impact that they want to. Um, so I, I feel like I've achieved, I've transcended to the, the deepest level of impact that I can possibly have, <laughs> which is, feels really wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. And so let's, let's dive into that. Um, so tell us a little bit, you know, give us the overview, the, the elevator pitch mm-hmm. of your career coaching. Yeah, um, my, I, I switched to career coaching almost a year ago, coincidentally in March of 2020, when the pandemic hit the United States. Um, and I have been phasing out my consulting. So I am finishing up my last project right now. 
um, which is a super cool project with the city of Portland working on our local elections process. Um, and so that's been really amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, my goal is to not do consulting anymore to do just coaching uh, for people specifically in the field that I've worked in. So I've worked in this field of user experience, product development for about 10 years. Uh, and I know the field really well. I love the people who work in the field and um, not just knowing a lot about being a researcher and what that entails, but having gone through the job, uh, job search process so many times, you know, interviewing, have a lot, of, a lot of experience with that, working with and understanding what other people do. So what do user experience designers do? What does their work entail? Um, you know, helping them go through the interview process too. Um, and there's lots of different roles in business, um, product and technology that I became familiar with. So that's why I've chosen this particular um, niche to focus on. Um, and I work with people, there's a couple different areas that I work in. Um, it's all based though, in understanding your values, understanding your strengths, what you really love to do, um, and doing a lot of that self exploration to set a foundation for making good decisions, um, making decisions with less risk, uh, building confidence in making decisions, confidence in your work and the interview process. So there's like a, a foundation, um, to it. That's part of that process. Um, some people I work with are, are, are trying to ask and answer big questions about like, what do I even want to do in this field? Um, what is going to provide me with meaning in my role? Um, how do I craft a professional identity that matches with my values? Um, so there's like some big questions around that. Big um, questions around like, how do I build more confidence in everything that I do? And so, you know, talking about ways for building that um, through taking action, right? Um, and taking action and practicing something is the only way that you're going to build confidence in doing it, whether it's presenting a portfolio in an interview or um, interviewing in and of itself, you know, having these conversations with people um, or uh, doing new things at work. So, so that's a theme that comes up a lot with people. And then within all of that stuff, and it depends on the person I'm working with, it's, it's very customized to this person. It's, uh, you know, very specific things of like getting your professional assets in shape. So in my mind, like the, the four pillars, the four most important things for your professional assets in design and in tech are your resume, your cover letter, your LinkedIn, and your portfolio. And if you have a website, that's cool too. But helping people identify and understand, like, what is my professional story? What differentiates me from others? What is my professional brand? Um, how, how, like, reflecting back on your path, your educational and professional path to look through the, to look for the through line or the thread through that entire story. Because that not only helps you get clear in your own mind for telling people your story, and being and feeling confident in doing that, but then infusing that information into your professional assets, if you're looking to make some kind of transition. So I liken it to doing exploratory or foundational research on yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I see these conversations I have as parallel to doing interviews for user experience research projects. But this time I am helping guide people to come to their own insights and then be there to, you know, coach them and, and, and give them domain expertise and experience from UX when it's um, relevant. Uh, 
and, and then the other side of that is to um, do the evaluative research of like, let's, let's get your assets in order and then test those, put them into the world and see what kind of uh, results we get. Are you getting more interviews? Testing your hypotheses, essentially. So I treat it like I treat it the same way um, as a research project or a uh, user-centered design process where you're iterating on this over time in order to achieve what it is you're working towards. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, in, in the way you describe that all, though, it almost sounds like the people that you're working with, maybe you're already at the point of applying and they they need to get those assets in place. But are there... Are you working with anybody who's maybe a student and they also have the time to sort of plan to have those assets, you know, properly aligned with their end goal? Yeah, I work with people at all phases of their career, at all points of the process of, you know, whether they're still getting trained or um, getting their education to like, are they trying to get their foot in the door to a highly competitive field, how to do that? Um, or maybe they're, you know, a, a senior designer and they want to move to a lead designer role or a VP role, whatever. So I, I do get a nice variety of people. But yeah, um, because each person is different, I have to take a step back just as a researcher would and go, okay, before we move forward with this, there's some questions we need to answer about like, how competent are you at this type of work? What are any gaps that you have in understanding um, it's not just about knowing research methodologies and, and being able to conduct qualitative research. It's how does that fit into product design? Knowing the language, knowing the culture um, and, you know, the way organizations and teams work. So the more of that, you know, kind of going back to that self-education and on-the-job learning sure. that I did a long time ago, it's the same thing. Like you, you are going to be most successful if you're prepared with uh, a more holistic understanding of this world. And so, yeah, with some people, it's uh, identifying if there's anything that they need to learn. Or, uh, you know, I, I meet people who have gone to boot camps, and um, boot camps are a controversial topic right now because um, they don't uh, always do what they say they're going to do or produce the results they say they're going to do or um, help people in meaningful ways. And so, people will go to boot camps to learn about stuff only to realize that they can't get a job. And it's because they were misled into, um, uh, into an understanding of user experience and design that is incorrect. That is not as deep as it needs to be, not as holistic as it needs to be. And so I, you know, I'll talk with people like that who kind of need to identify like what else they need to do. Um, so yeah, it's it's really anyone um, at any phase of their career at any point in the process. It's you know very different for each person. So a big part of that is is deciding like at what where am I at and is am I in the right place to move forward or are there some things I need need to do before I uh, begin my job search, for example. Yeah, great. And you know, just one to build on the boot camp thing. Uh, I've I've said it on the podcast already, but I'll say it again that a lot of boot camps are really focused on design and not so mm -hmm. much research. And a lot of anthropologists are obviously interested in research. So for a lot of reasons, boot camps often aren't the best bet for an anthropologist. Yeah, um, and that that might not be clear to people. Uh, you know, I meet people who want to be a researcher, but they think they need to take a design boot camp. And no, you don't need to do design. 
you just need to understand what it's all about and the tenets of the field and, and what user experience is all about. But you don't need to do design unless you want to be a designer. And that's something I want to say, too, is, um, you know, there are so many types of roles in user experience. You can be a researcher a designer, you can uh, be a, a, a content strategist where you're coming up with content for products, which, you know, fits into creating a good user experience, um, a UX writer, like there are lots of different roles in this world that could potentially work for people who come out of anthropology. Um, let's say they're like really, really skilled at writing for, for mass audiences, which I don't know, maybe... <laughs> we're trained more for, for academic writing, but, you know, I, I wager there are people out there who are good at, you know, writing for, for bigger audiences. So I encourage people to explore, like, what, what are these different roles that I might fit into and which one is most appealing to me if I know that I want to work in this field? And that's the thing. Like, we do diligence. That's, like, the most highly used phrase that comes out of my mouth these days is, we need to do due diligence in understanding what UX is, what design is all about. Do I really want to pursue a career in this field? And how do I know? Like, have I answered all the important questions? And, and yeah, so that's why it's so important to learn all of this and, um, you know, not take a leap into something unless you fully understand it, because you'll kind of set yourself up for, you know, sabotaging yourself or, um, a delayed progress because you haven't fully understood something before you've acted on it. Yeah. And just to add to that too, the, um, we recently gave a, you know, a talk, a triple A webinar where we, it was about breaking into tech. And so a few of the slides were around really finding the right fit. So, you know, you said it there with, you know, one of them is the right role, right. The mm -hmm. right organizational culture kind of, you know, even that related to maturity, you know, are you going to be okay in maybe a low maturity organization where you have to do many things, where many hats don't have much oversight and we need to figure things out yourself? Or do you think you want to maybe try and get into a larger organization with more process where, you know, you have somebody who's sort of mentoring you, right? Those mm -hmm. are all really critical decisions that go into breaking into UX that are far beyond just our research skills. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, pr uh, project management like if you love the logistics and um organize you know highly organized making uh, processes work for a team and getting everyone to move forward just the like the infrastructure of that that's an option um there's there's so many different options out there and um it doesn't have to just be about research we can do lots of stuff and bring that perspective of human understanding and critical thinking to any role so maybe um you know, want to be respectful of time, but maybe um, as we're sort of wrapping up here, we could just dive into the four pillars as you described them, or even the fifth yeah. you mentioned, the website. So do you have recommendations for everybody that, um, you know, for those four or five that, that you think everybody should consider? Yeah. And are, do, you, do you want me to talk about um, people coming out of anthropology education and training or anyone? Doesn't matter. So, of course, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, it's different for a student versus early to sort of mid-career, uh, and especially, you know, if you have experience, research experience or not, you know, in sort of business or in the field. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I appreciate we can go in both directions. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the floor if you feel that there's specific things that you want to call out for both. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, before I do that, you mentioned one key thing that I think we should call out, which is experience. Like get as much experience as you can. Even if it's class projects, those count. Academic experience applying anthropology to answering questions and solving problems is experience. It's a matter of communicating that experience in a non-academic way to people in a, a potential job situation. So I like if there's anything people can do before they get out of school, that is the most important thing. Going to these um, these professional assets. Yeah. So I think of it, one way to think of it is like having an online presence that helps people find you, evaluate you, you know, know you, like you, trust you. That's like a common, uh, concept for this and then contact you. You're answering their questions proactively. You're giving them information that they already want or that they didn't know they wanted. And that's like interesting about you, you know, telling them stuff, but you want to set it up so that you don't have to do as much of the work. You want to set it up so that you're not just relying on um, applying to jobs, going through company websites and, you know, job sites and that kind of thing. You want to take advantage of the internet (laughs) and your ability to be, you know, found on the internet. And, um, you know, imagine someone, uh, well, I'll use myself, right? So I've been on LinkedIn for a long time. I love it as a platform. It's been crucial at every point in my career when I, whether I was like applying for jobs or being a consultant to get clients or doing coaching now. And I get pretty much all of my clients for coaching through LinkedIn. And the reason is because I am findable on LinkedIn. I put information out there that people, uh, you know, find valuable. Um, I, I engage in the community. So I'm, uh, you will find me in, in lots of different places on LinkedIn. I have a website. Um, I, I make it easy for people to go, oh, you know, Amy looks interesting uh, as a person. Uh, she has a background in UX. She's a career coach. You know, that all that put together makes me interested in her. Let me check out her info. Okay, then I will um, get in contact if I'm interested in chatting further. It's the same thing for anyone else, right? So if you're if you're in the more traditional role of like actually applying for a job inside of a company, you can think of it in the same way. You submit your application. You have a top-notch resume that... Um, that covers your jobs and what you've done, but most importantly, the accomplishments that you've made and the impact that you've had at a job um, and, you know, your skills, your, your cover letter, which I highly recommend there. There are lots of perspectives on cover letters. Some people want them. Some people don't. Some people look at them. Some people don't. So because of that, I say always do it just in case, unless it's not asked for, then maybe you don't need to do it, but that's a persuasive essay. So you're, creating a multidimensional self out of, uh, uh, you know, and not just handing them like a piece of paper with like flat info about you, like a list of what you've done. So you're writing a persuasive essay to catch their eye and convince them that you're a highly, um, uh, that you're highly qualified for this role, that you're a good fit and that they should talk to you and take the next step. So you have your resume, your cover letter, your LinkedIn, if you Google your name and you don't have a website, then the first thing that's going to come up is your LinkedIn profile and you will get Googled. Like there's no doubt. I, I don't know why any recruiter or hiring manager wouldn't Google you to see what they can find out about you. So you want to have that in a really good place. You want to have it filled out. You want to um, use it as a platform for storytelling. So not rehashing your resume 
it's kind of, LinkedIn is kind of like a combination of a resume and a cover letter and a portfolio put together because you can add your own kind of featured content on there. Um, so, so yeah, it's these, let's see, uh, LinkedIn resume, cover letter portfolio. Yes. For people who want to get into design, a portfolio is absolutely essential. And this includes researchers. And the reason is because we need to be able to talk to people about projects we've done and what our experience is um, and indicate to them that we're competent in not only practicing as a researcher, but in storytelling um, and in visually communicating to people um, what we have done. When I say that, it doesn't mean you need to be like have stellar design skills. There are lots of portfolio templates out there. You can Google for that kind of stuff. Um, I have resources for that that I share with people. So, um, but the reason is because you're going to have to communicate your research oftentimes in that same way, um, either verbally or through, you know, some kind of visual storytelling um, about your process and your findings and all of that stuff. So yeah, uh, those, those are essential. Um, and you know, website is also great too. The more cohesive and robust of an online presence you have, the better. And you know, your website is whatever you want it to be. So, you know, you can put whatever you want on there and, um, you know, whether it's the same stuff as your, your, uh, other, uh, as the other four pillars or some different things, um, just one more thing to show that you're, really being considerate about this and that you have a concept and a, a strong pers- uh, a concept of your professional identity that you want to communicate to people. Great. And you know, one thing on the portfolio that I think you, you kind of touched on it when you, know, you said that the design is not super important. And for those who maybe already have like some kind of visual designs that they can include, Right. The emphasis is not on those, right? Those are maybe there to articulate other points, but we are not designers, right? So that's not really showcasing our work per se. It's, it's much more about the way we think, right? Mm -hmm. The way we maybe got to the recommendations that led to that visual design. Of course, the outcomes of that, you know, it's not, it's not meant to show off the, uh, the visual interaction or interaction design of somebody else. Right. And you can, yeah, I mean, you can, you you can show examples of, you know, a prototype that you're testing, or, uh, you know, if you're doing something in school, whatever it is that you're kind of working on for a project to tell a story, but you're right, it's about showing people like, here's what I've done to indicate the kind of value that I can bring to this job. Um, uh, Again, storytelling, can you walk people through something in an articulate way, talking about your process, decision making, how you involved people as collab- uh, in collaboration with your project outcomes. And on that note, if you if your project didn't have any outcomes, that's okay, because that's not always the case. You know, and we have to think of outcomes, not just in terms of like, we got this many more users or, you know, whatever. It can be um, that you, you know, had an impact on the design of some marketing materials for this nonprofit that you worked with, whatever it may Mm -hmm. be. So thinking, yeah, thinking broadly about what it is that you did and again, communicating how that's relevant to the job that you're applying for. Yeah, great. Hi, wonderful. So Amy, um, do you want to maybe tell everybody where they can find you as a career coach and, and maybe mention anything else that you wish to plug? Yeah, um, you can go to amysanti.com. You can go on my LinkedIn. And I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. Like I said, I, 
I'm on there a lot um, because A, it's a really helpful for uh, running my business, but B, because I love engaging in not just the design and user experience community, but, you know, the anthropology community, um, social justice community on LinkedIn. So there's a lot of cool people that, you know, you can connect with on there and learn from. So I love that part of it. Um, so definitely LinkedIn. Uh, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I would also mention my blog. Um, it's the 10 year anniversary of my blog this year, anthropologizing.com. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I started that blog right after I graduated with my master's to like think out loud about, you know, what it means to practice anthropology in the world. And not only did it help me talk about it out loud, but it helped me actually figure it out and process that um, as I as I went on. And so um, there's a lot of documentation of, you know, things that I've done and encountered and thought about on there. And um, I recommend it for anyone who is interested in you know, general applied anthropology, but also working um, as an anthropologist or practicing anthropology in user experience. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's a great blog. I definitely would second that to recommend it to everybody else. And are you going to do anything to sort of celebrate the 10th anniversary, any kind of series or anything planned? <laughs> no, I, I um, did a guest post on um, a blog that a friend of mine has um, called Leaders Write. And um, it was just more of like a reflection on uh, the things I was just talking with you about. So I don't know, that's a nice little way of documenting it. Um, but I my goal is just to continue posting more stuff on my blog. Uh, that's That's pretty much it. Hi, right, great. Well, Amy, thanks again. Really enjoyed talking with you. Um, I'm, I know that the work you're doing in career coaching is, is great and um, it will help everybody. So if anybody needs help, please reach out to, to Amy. Yes. And you as well. I know you do some similar work. So, you know, um, you should, uh, uh, don't be afraid to mention that. Or if you don't want to, then I will recommend that people reach <laughs> out to you, especially because you focus just on anthropologists, so, which is really awesome. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think both of us don't love the sales process as much as uh, the I don't work like itself. to be salesy. Yeah, it's not my yeah. style, but that—that's the whole point. It's—it's it's like let your work speak for itself, and that bringing that back to the people listening to this podcast today. Let your work speak for itself. Put it out there, and eventually, you're not going to have to like put a ton of effort into gaining new opportunities for yourself and your career. Yeah, well said. All right. Well, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotous.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.